Amen. Thank you so much, Michelle, for that special number. Peace. God gives us peace. And he gives us peace, we know, in the midst of the storm. He also gives us personal peace in the midst of the battle. We're here this morning, of course, to worship. We're also here this morning on a special Sunday to talk about vision for the coming year for our church. Not just for our church, but for us as individuals. Something that burdens me, that troubles me, is that the average evangelical church is very much asleep when it comes to the battle that we face. I am firmly convinced that it is part of the devil's strategy to make sure that the church is distracted and sidetracked with secondary issues so that he can push his agenda. There's a portion of scripture that tells us that when the devil realizes that he has but a very short time, he's going to multiply his efforts in the destruction of souls. And it is unfortunate that sometimes the church can become, and I'm speaking of the church in general or Christendom in general, can become an unwitting accomplice to Satan in regard to his attempts to take this world by storm and indeed to take people to hell. Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bible with me is Paul's warning that we are facing a battle. This battle is nothing new. This battle did not begin in 2024. The battle did not begin with the last election in 2020. The battle didn't begin at some time, maybe the turn of the century, no. The battle that we face as believers, that every generation of Christians has faced since Pentecost forward, is really the age-old battle that began way back in Genesis chapter 3.15, where the Bible says that Satan would bruise the heel of Christ, but that Christ ultimately would crush the head of the serpent. Every generation of believers, whether a Hebrew believer in the Old Testament times or a Christian believer, has faced the battle. We have known the scars, and sometimes we don't recognize the fundamentally spiritual nature of a battle. This morning, we're going to look at that from Ephesians chapter 6, but more than just looking at it, we're going to come up with what I believe is a biblical strategy for facing the battle in coming days. In other words, it's going to be <laughs> a battle plan, if you will. How will Faith Baptist Church do through 2024? What will we do to counter the attack of Satan? It is helpful to me to look at my Christian walk as a warfare. By the way, for people that are uncomfortable with that, you don't know your New Testament very well, because over and over again, Paul referred to our Christian walk as either a battle or a warfare or an athletic contest. And often, by the way, an athletic contest is very similar to a warfare. Someone philosopher said that uh, civilized people use athletics as a form of entertainment where warfare used to be. I had the privilege of going to a, a hockey game, one of the one of the Indy Fuel games, and it was a lot of fun. I hadn't been to a hockey game in a number of years, and you say, Pastor, what, was there anything that disappointed you? Yes, yes. The only thing that really happened on the ice were small skirmishes. Back when I was a kid, they'd clear the benches in a brawl. How many remember that? You say, oh, Pastor Monty, is that what you wanted to see? Well, yes, of course. But I went there to see. Now, I know, I know, I know 
There are some pious people in the audience. Well, oh, Pastor Monty, you should have gone there to see their athletic expertise, blah, blah, blah. You know why you went too. It's no fun unless there's blood on the ice. May I tell you quite frankly that we're involved in a battle far more serious than any athletic competition. We're involved in a battle far more serious than any physical competition and conflagration that may engulf the, war, uh, the world. And the church has been involved in a serious battle since its very inception. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul warns the church at Ephesus that they are in the first century, as one of the early churches of the Bible, that they are embroiled in a battle, and that the battle is spiritual. Look at Ephesians 6 verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may, able, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." In the first two verses of our text, we find verses that have reference to a military theme, the armor of God, and taking a stand to resist Satan in the age in which we live, to be careful that we are not capitulating to him or even siding with him inadvertently. I want us as a church to follow the biblical strategy for victory. And victory is an individual thing in the life of a Christian day by day. And victory is a corporate thing in the life of a church day by day. But there are principles that apply both to you as an individual and that apply to us corporately. There, there are some things Paul will remind us of in the passage that are absolutely essential as we move forward for the Lord. Look, if you will, at verse 10, 11. I read it a moment ago. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Essential number one is this, reliance on God. Reliance on God. Success in the battle requires a team effort, and that team effort must include God. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle puts it this way, using a different illustration. He talks about the farming illustration. And he says that we are laborers together with God. Now I want you to notice something about that. It is not God alone. It is God plus his people. There are some people with a very faulty theology that think, well, Pastor Monty, que sera, sera. Some of you old people know this song. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. There's a whole theology based on that. Reformed theology, the future's not mine to see. Que sera, sera. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that I play an important role in the advancing of the work of God in this world. But my role does not, it, it does not go beyond the role of God. They are symbiotic. In other words, I'm commanded in Scripture certain things, and one of them is in the midst of the battle to learn to rely on the Lord. In other words, if I'm going to make an advance, my faith and my trust must not be in my own ability, but in the power of God. My belief must not be in my personal confidence. I think people should have some personal confidence about them. I'm not against that. But that is not where my faith stands. My faith and my strength stands in knowing that God is on the throne and knowing that God is in control. 
after the advent of the airplane, military maneuvers changed dramatically. Because under the cover of an airplane, when the Air Force would fly in and bomb targets that were in advance of where the troops were, as they would bomb targets, and we use the word provide cover for the troops, it was possible for the troops to advance because the enemy was so busy dealing with the bombing and concentrating on the air raid that they didn't have time for the ground troops. That was called advancing under cover. Let me say something, church. The only way we will advance is under cover of the power of God. That's it. We're not going to do it because of our own cleverness, our own cunningness. Well, but, but, but Pastor Monty, you know, we're going to organize the right way. We're going to put everything together the right way. We're sure to win. We're not sure to win if we're not relying on God. I really mean that. All the planning, all the work, all the effort in the world, if not given to God and energized by his power, will be in vain. Sometimes I think the problem in the contemporary church is we've become very professional. And I believe that our money and all those things, that ought to be handled in a professional and business-like way. But may I say that it is the Spirit of God that leads a congregation. May I say that God sometimes surprises us with his leadership, and when he does that, we ought to be willing to follow. A reliance upon God means that ultimately God is directing the operation. And it also means we're not satisfied with our present position. There are a lot of people who say good enough is good enough. There are a lot of people who say, well, Pastor Monty, the Lord has blessed Faith Baptist Church in, in the last many, many years, but especially in the last several years. And, and, and Pastor, we've, we've finally arrived. And to that I say, no, we haven't. The mentality that says, well, Pastor, it's enough, is a mentality that doesn't love people and doesn't love souls. The mentality that says, oh, well, but, but Pastor Monty, I, 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 the church is just getting too big. Look, look at me, look at me. Don't, don't talk to me about that. Do you know, who do you want me to kick out? Why don't you give me a list? See, statements like that are ridiculous in my hearing. Because really, if you make a statement, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just uncomfortable, church is big. If you make a statement like that, then you need to follow it up with handing me a list of everybody we need to kick out of the church. And that would be wholly unscriptural. Every person that walks through the doors of this church comes here because they have a need. And there is one person who can fulfill their need. And by the way, his name is not Pastor Monty. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole goal of the church is to point as many people as we possibly can to Jesus Christ. And many as we can. So we rely on God, but we're going to advance. We, we must trust in God's strength. We must trust in God's unusual power. We must not become self-reliant. That's always a danger when you receive blessings. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. When God has blessed something, all of a sudden we have this human way of feeling like we're big stuff. We're, we're well, we finally arrived and we're big stuff and we, we don't say it, but we almost have the attitude, well, God, hey, thank you, Lord, we'll take it from here. That is absolutely deadly. Whenever a church, a group of people, whenever you, as an individual think you've got it, 
You're strong enough. <laughs> You're big enough. You're mature enough. You know the Bible well enough. Whenever you, you prize yourself based on that, you're in deep trouble because our confidence is 100% and must remain on God. Every single victory is of God and not of us. Now, we use the resources God has provided because we're joining together in the battle. The whole idea of the full armor of God, we'll touch on it briefly in a moment. The whole idea is that God has provided us resources for success in our warfare with the, the forces of Satan as we join hand in hand with him. The entire passage, by the way, teaches reliance. If you look at the very first verse, finally, my brethren, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then you drop down to verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer. Sandwiched between verses 10 and 18 is an explanation of the resources, the spiritual armor that God has given us. In verse 10, it says, rely on him. In verse 18, it says, brethren, don't forget to pray. Why? Because prayer marks reliance upon God, and that is where the power resides. I want you to listen to me for a moment. For those of us who aren't used to praying, or praying much, there may come a day, and it may come fairly soon, when we will find ourselves on our knees as never before. Pastor, are you predicting something very dark? No, to the contrary. If that should be the will of God for this generation, it will be something very encouraging because we will know God as we never knew him before. We are far too accustomed with playing church. We're far too accustomed to focusing on little minuscule things about church and people's lives and this and the other thing. We're far too driven to study the, the, uh, the machinations of Facebook and not enough interested in what God is doing in this world. And sometimes God has a way, and I'm not predicting he will do this, but if he does, it would not be a bad thing. Sometimes God has a way of pulling the rug out to make us rely on him. So our strategy, an essential element of our strategy, is complete reliance upon God. Another element of our strategy is recognizing the enemy. Drop down in our passage, chapter 6. Bible says this, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that's not just speaking about, oh, the dark side or some ambiguous force of evil in the world. That is speaking of a personal force of evil, Satan, the devil, the serpent represented in our, our, our theme picture as the devil. It is speaking of that deceiver and that liar who has been the self-avowed enemy of every believer in God from Genesis 3.15 on. And then he says in verse number 12 to further define the wiles of the devil. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want you to think about that for a moment. I'll get there, I'm gonna go back to this. No human being is my enemy. Oh, but, but Pastor Bonnie, do you have enemies? Well, sure I do, sure I do. Can you imagine there's people out there that don't like me? I, I can't even begin to fathom it. Kelly says she can imagine it, but I, <laughs> I, 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 it's hard for me to fathom, but there are. 
There are. But you know what? They're really not the enemy. When I face opposition, if I'm thinking biblically at that moment, I'm thinking there's something behind the flesh and blood. Again, verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, now commonly agreed by Bible commentators is this, that this list of words speaks, it's words used of officials, Roman officials, some of them, but it is words that are used to describe the angelic host, perhaps various rankings among angels and demons. Oh, Pastor Wendy, we're talking about this again. We have to because it's in the Bible. So those of you who are very nervous about that kind of thing, uh, honestly, I'm troubled for you. Because if you don't believe in the supernatural elements of the Bible, you have been greatly duped by Satan himself. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul said, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. In other words, there are spiritual elements that carry legitimate and real authority in this world. They're the real enemy. Against spiritual wickedness where? In high places. It is the devil who is a fallen angel, who is the great rebel that was revealed to us first in Genesis chapter 3. He is real, he is active, he is engaged, and he is threatening. And it is a host of the forces of darkness, the personal and real forces of darkness that exist in this world that come up in battle ray against us, I will say this, on, I believe, a daily basis. Pastor Ronnie, you're being a little spooky. I'm not trying to be spooky, I'm trying to be real. You see, this battle is, well, Pastor, I've, 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 I've never seen the devil show up with Red, a red suit and horns. Probably not going to see that. Because the Bible says that Satan appears, how? As an angel of light. That sometimes he comes looking very, very good. Well, Pastor Monty, I've, I've never bumped into any paranormal activity. Oh, no, you've not seen anything. Maybe some of you have. Let's just not go there. But I think that every Christian in this room, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've had something happen or been tempted. Well, let me ask you this question. How many have ever been tempted to sin? Get every hand should be up. Every, if you're not, you should be at the altar to confess lying. <laughs> that is one of the agencies of Satan and his minions is to tempt to sin. But I love the emphasis in verse number 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My, my enemy is not human. I mentioned a moment ago I'd come back to this. Do you know that my enemy is not lost people, unsaved people, non-Christians? I want you to hear this very carefully. They're, they're not the enemy. Pastor Ronnie, we must stay as far away from them as we possibly can, lest they sully and besmirch us with their worldliness. Do you know that's not commanded in the Bible? We're commanded to preach the gospel to them. In order to preach the gospel to them, you need to have some kind of a bridge to them or at least some kind of contact with them. The idea of a hyper-separatism that says, I'll never let myself, my family, or my kids ever know anybody who is lost is probably one of the most deleterious philosophies to evangelism that the world has ever known. 
And I am not in favor of that. I am in favor of us as Christians going and lovingly confronting our culture, getting to meet people and know people, meet them where they are and tell them about Jesus. That's always been the Bible plan. We want to be careful that we don't view the enemy as human. Well, Pastor Monty, what about, what about, I hear your whatabouts. What about George Soros? Ooh. He certainly is the enemy of all things moral, decent, and right. But have you ever thought about what's behind him? As a human being, as a multi-billionaire, he certainly has the money to pump into horrific programs that deny biblical morality. But have you ever thought who's behind him? You see, lurking behind that rather ugly man, lurking behind him, lurking behind his checkbook, lurking behind his wallet, lurking behind his money is something bigger. And I need to understand that that man has, and I'm just using him as an example, I could use many more, has given himself over, perhaps unknowingly, has given himself over as a tool to advance globalism, immorality, and the destruction of America, but the enemy is the one behind him. It's not the man in the flesh. It's not the lost person. By the way, the enemy is not other Christians. Everybody look this way. One time I was in a a Bible lecture, and a man, very famous man, very well-known man, some of you would know the name if I said it, but I will not, very famous, well-known man. I was very young, very young. He stood up in the, the pulpit speaking to a very large group of young people, and he looked out at the crowd and he said this at a very large, loud tone of voice. He said, young people, the new evangelical is the enemy. A new evangelical was someone that differed a little bit from a fundamentalist or whatever you want to say. I'll answer the question later if you ask me. And I was sitting there as a young person listening, college-age kid, I was sitting there listening to that, and I thought, that is so wrong. Because the Bible says of other Christians, we don't treat them like an enemy. We entreat them as a brother. We entreat them as a brother or sister. Part of the problem in a lot of churches is infighting. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. Won't be tolerated here. Won't be tolerated. Well, Pastor Monty, so-and-so disagrees with so-and-so, and so-and-so disagrees... Calm down, cool your jets. Whenever dissension begins in church, it is Satan who is given the advantage. Well, Pastor, okay, we're going to get along with our church. Well, what about that church down the road? Because they're just a little different from us. Shouldn't you stand up in the pulpit and declare things? No, no, no. Do you know why? Other Christians are not my enemy. Lift up your eyes for a moment, folks. The world is going to hell while various Christian groups who believe in the fundamental doctrines of the faith, they argue among themselves over the issues where they differ. And their arguing in some levels has become so extreme and picky that evangelism is done and they feel like they're the most right. Well, Pastor, we are the most right. Hey, look at me. I believe very firmly in solid Bible doctrine. I believe in that but I've got a world to win to Christ. 
I don't have time to fight with another Christian over something that's a small issue. I certainly don't have time for that. So it's not lost people, it's not other Christians. Satan tries to distract us with silly squabbling within the church. Carnal Christians unwilling, unwittingly become Satan's tools. Even though the Apostle Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices, other churches and people with whom we differ, they're not the enemy because this is not a typical battle. Paul mentions, and I don't have time, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. This battle is different. It is more critical. Well, pastor, what if someone were to approach your home with a gun and in a violent manner? Would you defend your property and your home and your, your wife? Absolutely. I'd even defend my dog. I would defend little buddy. He's really Kelly's dog. I resent the treatment that I receive at his paws. But I would defend him for Kelly's sake. The weapons of my warfare, though, the real battle is not somebody coming to my house armed. The real battle is Satan getting into my heart. The real battle is an influence from Satan that could cause me to go the wrong direction or make poor choices or could cool my relationship with Christ. Because the real destruction that takes place in people's lives is not usually something that happens in an instant but it is something that happens over the process of time as we move further and further in our heart away from God. I need to recognize the enemy. Essential number three, I'm told to resist the enemy. Look, if you will, at verse number 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may able, be able to withstand. The idea of withstand is to resist, to hold back. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. How do we do that? What I'm about to show you applies certainly to our church in 2024, but also to our personal lives. I'm going to give you four things this morning. Some of you have seen these before, but we're going to couch them in some different emphases today. How do we do this? How do we stand against Satan? How do we resist him? And I'd like the slides to come up now, if I could, Eric, uh, Eric please. We're going to uh, do several things. If you'll notice on your slide presentation, we're going to proclaim, deepen, equip, and serve. Move on to the next slide, if you would, please. The first one is proclaim. Several weeks ago, before Christmas, I talked about the Lord's battle plan. We understood that the battle lines were drawn in Genesis 3.15. But then we went to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. We went back to Isaiah 63. And we noticed that the methodology that the Lord would use is different during the church age than what we might think. The army of Christ does not advance with weaponry. We advance with a message. In other words, a commitment to proclaim the truth. Look at verse number 14. Paul said, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The area that is the most susceptible and potentially deadly to the attack of Satan, you're to gird that about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Drop down to verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no scheme in the world that I can come up with that will advance God's work in this world any better than this. 
a willingness to tell you the truth. So part of our plan, as it has always been, will be clear and unapologetic and biblical preaching. We're going to teach the Bible more in depth in 2024 than we ever had. We're not just going to give you little messages that play games and and make you feel good, but we're going to get into the Word of God because the greatest way to defend yourself, loins girt about with truth, the greatest way to advance in the battle is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Jesus said in his great high priestly prayer, Thy Word is truth. You hear me, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible's always been central here, but it will be central in an even bigger way. As we, with more boldness, explain exactly what is, oh, pastor, if you're, if you're too blunt, it'll drive people away. I'm not worried about that. What I want to do is preach the truth with, with such clarity that we know to embrace it and prepare ourselves. It is not only in the pulpit ministry, but as a congregation, we will preach the truth to those outside of this place. We have go and tell events this year, the first one being on March 23rd that will be part of our outreach. By the way, very successful outreach year last year. I want this to be even more successful. Last year we gave out 3,500 gospel cards at various events. We held a car show in August. Over 90 vehicles were displayed, over 250 in attendance, and gospel cards were handed out. Hundreds have been made available. We're going to do that and emphasize that throughout the year. You say, Pastor, why? Because even in incidental contact with someone, I can give them something from which they can find the truth. One of our staff was eating out a while back and gave a gospel card to the waiter. I love what the waiter said to him. He said, oh, he said, I've probably gotten 50 of these. Where'd you get them from? From you all. When I heard that story, I was excited about that. And he said, you know, I think I probably need to come to that church. Do you think God is telling me something? (laughs) Amen. They may not come tomorrow or the next day, but one day maybe he will. Here's the point. Proclaiming the word is not just a pulpit thing, it's a, a thing that we do outside of the pulpit. We're going to offer you this year some more new gospel resources for doing that. We also host evangelistic events. This year we're going to have a teen rally. Of course, our vacation Bible school. We're going to have a big Independence Day celebration picnic like we've been doing the last few years, but we're going to encourage you to be sure to bring guests, and then we're going to talk to you about how we're going to make that evangelistic. We're going to do the car show thing again. That'll be fun. Our fall festival used to be kind of a church activity. It's now turned into a major evangelistic activity. I see some of you nodding your heads. We're going to do that more and more. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, but you know, this kind of outreach doesn't look like the kind of outreach of 25 years ago. No, it it doesn't. Remember I explained that to you? Most of you, I took a poll one Sunday. I took a poll and said, how many of you love it when a total stranger knocks on your door? Not one hand went up. Not one. And then I said, okay, be honest, you're not unspiritual. How many of you are at least mildly irritated when someone knocks on your door? And almost every hand went up. I'm mildly irritated at my dog. I mean, Kelly's dog. He goes crazy. He about tears the house down. Well, I learned something from that. It makes no sense to mildly irritate my entire community. (laughs) But what if 
I can go into events that they've already sponsored, like the National Night Out and, and the, the Heritage Festival. What if I can go to those places and meet people on neutral territory? We found that the Lord is using that in a tremendous way. We're just going to do more of that. So our first step is to proclaim. A second step is this. We want to deepen your faith, deepen the faith. Look at verse number 16. Above all, Paul said, taking the shield of faith, what we believe, our faith is what we believe in. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith means, well, Pastor Monty, I'm a person of faith. Look at me, what do you believe in? I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. Then you ought to know it. Part of equipping or deepening people, pardon me, is the work that we will do. February 18th through 20th, we're going to have a family conference. I think that'll be super helpful. You'll hear more about that as it draws closer. Super helpful to families. Last year, a couple families joined our church as a result of the family conference. Oh, Pastor Ryan, you know, everything's fine in my family. I don't need it. Yeah, you're the one who needs to be here. And what are we doing? Just learning Bible principles about marriage, about child rearing, about relationships. So important. Of course, we're going to continue our emphasis on adult Sunday school. I've been thrilled, by the way, with the reception and frankly very surprised with the reception of this Genesis class. Thrilled with it. A lot of people don't normally come to Sunday school. They've started coming. Why? Because they want to learn what God has to say. How important it is to deepen my faith. How? Through the Word of God. Why? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We can be nothing but happy about that. We're providing our, our daily devotional book. We've got that. We've talked about that. Pastor Morris wrote that. We have our Wana Clubs. That, by the way, is a place for service and for deepening the faith of our children. And let me say something about that. Is Pastor Monty, you know, I, um, um, I don't know enough to be teaching children. Let me, look at me. Look at me. Go, go work in Awana. You will learn your Bible. How many Awana workers say that's been a result of working in Awana? Look at the hands up. You learn your Bible. The kids are memorizing it. You're checking their memorization. You're learning it back. You're explaining what, listen folks, what a great way to learn. You can be an undercover. You can be a 50-year-old undercover Awana clubber <laughs> by serving and working in Awana. It, it, it works both ways. Faith teens are our 7th through 12th grade emphasis, not only fun activities, but the preaching and teaching of the Bible. We have several ladies' Bible studies that meet, and you can ask for more information about that. Another strategy, of course, is to equip. Equip is the entire passage. Why? Because Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about the whole armor of God. And equipping people means training. It's not just armor and what to wear, but it's what to do with the armor. It's what to do with the sword of the Spirit. Coming up here in February, we're going to be doing our equip workshops. Very important. Every Saturday in February. By the way, there'll be a meal provided. It'll be about a two-hour event. You can select, look at your bulletin, you can select from the topics you want, and you can learn something new or hone an area of skill. I highly recommend it. In the summer, we have our summer series. That's going to be more intense this summer, and I'm excited about what we're doing there. What summer series? Wednesday night, where we teach on specific topics to specific groups to help with that. Pastor Monty, why all of this? Because if we're really going to be in the battle, <laughs> we have to be equipped and we have to know. And then the last point I would mention is to serve, to serve others. If you drop down 
in our passage, look at verse 15. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What in the world does that mean? I am to serve others by being a soul winner and evangelistic. That is my heartbeat. Now, now look at me, look at me. Outreach and evangelism looks a little different than it did 25 years ago. Pashamani, it needs to be exactly what it was 25 years ago. Your, your problem is you're in love with a method more than the message. Okay, don't, don't, don't go there. That's why you're increasingly irrelevant. But you know what it looks like to me? Faith recovery. Faith recovery started, we've never had a grand opening. We've never had an official launch as far as that goes. The room is full. 41 people last Wednesday night. Several uh, faith recovery workers came to me and said, Pastor Money, we got nowhere to put them. We got nowhere to put them. People love it on a Wednesday night. One lady who comes to the program, she said, I've got something for my kids to do. It's wonderful. And my husband, he's got something to do in the main service. And I get to be part of this thing. And she said, that's a wonderful plan. Yeah, but you know what? You know what we need? Do you know what we need? Do you want to know what we need? A new building. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not 2024 necessarily. I say that because you never know what God's going to do. I don't, I don't ever want to predict what I've learned just not to predict. God's doing a wonderful thing already in that ministry. Our DeGradia ministry is expanding. Not only will we be using that in relationship to folks that are going through uh, treatments in hospitals, but also to uh, sheltering wings. We're going to reach out with that ministry to sheltering wings. Uh, Good News Ministries, we're very thankful to have partnered with them over the years in the reaching of people for Christ. And then community involvement, we're planning to start a softball league, an inter-church softball league, like inside our church, an inter-church softball. Well, Pastor Monty, how's that evangelistic? Because you know guys that love softball. And guess what? They're welcome to come. And guess what? They're going to rub shoulders with you in our church. And guess what? They're going to become increasingly exposed to that, and there will be opportunities in that to share the gospel. Everything at this church is a platform for the gospel, and we want to make it as effective as possible because we understand that when we march in with the gospel of Christ into a dark and dying world, that we are marching into the very lair of Satan himself. And it is the power of the gospel and the light of the gospel that will change lives. Say, well, this is a lot of the things we've done before. Oh, it is. I just want more of it. And I want God to do something wonderful. Preacher, what will you predict? (laughs) I've learned not to predict. This time last year, I would have never imagined, ever in a million years, that God would open up the opportunity for us to own an additional 16 acres over here. Never would have thought that. May I tell you something? That is God. It's not your preacher. All this stuff surprises me. Oh, Pastor Monty, you must have a brilliant plan. (laughs) No, I don't have any plan. I just want to follow the Lord's leading. And when he leads, all I ask is this, because I'm not the smartest person in the world, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. All I ask about is this, make it obvious, Lord. Make it so obvious, Lord, that this dummy will know what to do. Here's what I believe, here's what I believe. Going forward, as we commit ourselves to the battle Going forward as we recognize that this is not a game, it's not a game, that the real enemy exists outside the walls of this church, 
that every individual who's committed himself fully to Jesus Christ has a place in this battle, as we recognize that we may be coming to the end of the age, we have to be more earnest than we've ever been, more serious than we've ever been, more committed than we've ever been to the battle and to winning. And all of that comes through Christ. You ever read the last part of the book? I like this little saying. I read the end of the book and we win. Yes, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I want you to be part, I want to be part of that conquering army that charges the very gates of hell with the truth of Christ. May God help us in 2024 to be that as a church and to be that as individuals. Father, I pray you'll take our thoughts this morning as we recognize the great opportunity that lies ahead of us in this year. Father, it's not just a church program. It's marching orders. It's a battle. It's something that we need the enlistment of every Christian in this room. Father, I pray that we would find ourselves willing to engage not only on the corporate level in the church, but Lord, the battle that is in our home, the battle for our marriage, the battle for our kids. Lord, I pray that you'll use us in ways beyond anything we can imagine as we submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Work in every heart, we pray. If some have come today and they're not even on the right side, help them, Lord, today to commit to Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please, everyone.